What if Jesus was kinder than you have been led to believe? What if Jesus was more patient than you would ever dare hope? And what if he was more interested in you than you uh, could possibly imagine? This is part three of our series, Irresistible. And really what I'm trying to get across to you today is the fact that I think that Jesus is far better, far kinder, far more patient, uh, far more helpful, far more interested in you and in me than what I think we would ever dare to give him credit for. I really do believe that he's the kindest person that you will ever meet. And I actually believe that he wants to be our friend. The focus of uh, this message, this encouragement today, and it's a little bit different to, to some of our other teachings in that it's not so much a teaching as much as it's something that, that I'm hoping that you will catch today. And, and I do believe that you are a variable in this equation. So at the end of this, I'm going to challenge you and encourage you to take a simple step that I think may help you in getting to experience, in getting to know Jesus as your friend. Now, now in case you're already pushing back, which I fully respect and understand, uh, whether you're exploring Christianity or whether you have been on this road for a long time and maybe you just feel like, oh, I've heard all this stuff already. Um, what I want to encourage you with is that this isn't actually about more knowledge. In fact, some of you have been around long enough to be dangerous with the amount of knowledge that you have. Uh, maybe you've heard enough messages. Maybe you've read the Bible enough times. Maybe you've, maybe you've read enough books, heard enough podcasts, listened to enough sermons to, to be more than well-educated enough. And what I want to propose today is that Jesus is someone to be experienced as a friend, not just studied as a science experiment. And my hope is that maybe I'll get this across uh, as I just share uh, one or two stories to you. The main, the main premise of this whole series is that, we're, is that we really do believe that if you would just uh, give God a chance, if you would actually come and see you would see how good God is. If you would just, if, if you only knew how good God is, I believe that you would want him to. I believe that you would find him thoroughly irresistible. Tammy actually shared uh, the first installment of this series and, and shared about the story of the woman that Jesus met at the well and how she eventually actually went running back to her fellow villagers saying to them, come and see. Like, just come and see. She didn't try and convince them. Shouldn't try and convert them. So I'm not trying to convince or convert you either. I'm saying, would you just come and see? Throughout this series, our hope is that you would just come and see. Whether you're exploring Christianity or whether you're a veteran Christian, you, you may be needing this invitation just as much. Where I'm saying, maybe do something a little bit different. Just come and see. Would you experience? In fact, there's a great line in one of the po poems in the book of Psalms where it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so I believe that there's a part to be understood and studied and learned, but I'm telling you that there's also a part to be experienced as we slow down enough to look at God, looking at us with love. I believe that Jesus wants to be our friend. There's a great little story that some of you might be familiar with. Uh, in fact, if you were ever dragged to Sunday school, you probably would have sung songs about this wee little man called Zacchaeus. Uh, he's well known as a short, uh, corrupt tax collector who uh, ran ahead of Jesus. He knew that he was coming into his village. He wanted to see him. Uh, he knew no one wanted to put him on two shoulders. And so because of his height restrictions, he kind of ran ahead and jumped up onto a sycamore tree to see Jesus. And I want to try and, and help you understand uh, maybe a little bit more about Jesus as we look at the way that he interacted with with someone that was probably despised in society. 
um, Zacchaeus wasn't, he didn't just represent SARS. Like he wasn't just taking, you know, a piece of your paycheck. He was probably, in all likelihood, very corrupt. In fact, the fact that he was a chief of tax collectors meant that he got a cut from all the other tax collectors as well. He was kind of like a mob boss, um, someone that the rest of the villagers would, would probably have shunned. I don't know if he cared, because I think he had a, a huge you know, property overlooking the Bay Area, and, uh, and he had enough jewelry and a couple of cars and all this stuff that, that you know, he was able to medicate his life. He was able to distract himself enough from, from what people thought of him. He was living large and probably to some extent enjoying that, but we see something um, quite dramatic. I'm using a lot of license, obviously, but we see something quite dramatic take place as he encounters Jesus. In Luke chapter 19, this is one of the, um, one of the first stories in the New Testament. The Bible's broken up into the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the New Testament, we have the first few books are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the third book, Luke, and it's a record of Jesus' life. And in chapter 19, we read that Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. So he had become rich. In fact, we're dealing with this right now in our country where people in power um, are still, through corrupt means, becoming rich off of the backs of ordinary people that they're meant to be serving. Verse 3 says that he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that Wait, now take a look at verse 5. And I want to draw a couple of very quick principles or ideas out of this. It says that when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Now, it's virtually impossible for me to convey how uh, countercultural Jesus' response to Zacchaeus would have been to his guests, to, his, to, his, to the other villagers, to those that were you know, looking on, and, and it would have been horrifying to the religious leaders. Um, in fact, the religious leaders, one of, one of their largest beefs with Jesus, in fact, the greatest insult that they thought they could give to Jesus was that he was a friend of sinners. They would actually call him a friend of sinners, and they were incredibly offended and incensed by the fact that he so consistently seemed to be drawn to people that they classified as sinners. Of course, the irony is that there is no such thing as those with sin and those without sin. The only difference is those who acknowledge their sin and those who deny their sin. So that's every one of us. If we, if we, if we have self, enough self-awareness, we all know <laughs> that we fall short. We all know that we are in need of grace and mercy. And so for Jesus, I don't think that that was the greatest insult. That might have been one of the greatest and even prophetic statements that could be made about him because he actually, he actually says at the end of this passage that he's come to seek and to save the lost. In another passage, Jesus says that he hasn't come for the healthy or those who think they're healthy. He's come for the sick or those who know, those who are aware of their need for him. So he calls him by name. Number one, uh, just a quick idea I want to get across is that Jesus is our friend, and this friend sees you. This friend sees you. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus was walking past and that he noticed Zacchaeus. And, and I don't think he just saw him like he's seeing this crowd. Somehow he saw far more than just another number. He actually saw Zacchaeus. I think the bigger challenge is whether or not we see Jesus. Do we look at Jesus looking at us. 
with love. You might think that, that you don't want him to see you. You might feel like, like he, he can come so close but not too close because you're afraid of what he might notice and observe. And I want to encourage you that because he is that kind of friend, he's the kind of friend who doesn't only identify you with your weakness, he sees you as a whole person. He sees you for who you are. He identifies you with, with, with you and your purpose. He sees you as who you can be. He accepts you as you are. He sees you. But secondly, this friend calls you by name. He calls you by name. You're not just another number. In fact, it's been said that the sweetest sound to a human being's ears is the sound of his or her own name. There's something so personal you're not just a number. You're not just a crowd. In fact, I think one of our biggest challenges right now in this season, in, in 2020, is that I think more and more, if, you, if you're on social media, if you're on news sites, if you're on Twitter, it is shocking at how much we keep dehumanizing people because there's distance. And so we don't see them as a person. We don't see them as a whole. We don't pay attention to them as someone with a name and a, and a past and a present and a future. We tend to dehumanize people. I think that Jesus is our friend and that he humanizes us. He brings back identity to us. Then verse uh, 6, it goes on. And it says that Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. I mean, I don't know what was going on through his mind, but he was okay <laughs> with the idea that, that this, this great teacher, I mean, they didn't know that he was the Messiah at that stage, but this great teacher, this rabbi, this man who's been performing miracles, is interested in coming to his house. He's like, later for you guys, I'm taking Jesus to my house. So in great excitement and joy, he takes him to his house. But verse 7, the people were displeased. Like they were cheesed. Like, does Jesus know who this guy is? Like, do they know he's the mob boss? Do they know that? Do they know how much he has hurt us and drilled us and taken from us? They were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. And again, I just want to point out that I think that the, the crowd, the people only saw Zacchaeus. They identified him with his weakness. And and the truth is that when Jesus loves you, as he does, and when Jesus is your friend, as I believe he wants to be, I don't think it's that he doesn't see your weakness. It's just that that's not all that he sees. And that's why he invites us to come as we are. That's why he invites us to come. In fact, one of the reasons that, that um, I'm recording from where I am right now is because of the, the vision statement behind us where we want to help lead people to the life or to bring people to the life-giving message of Jesus and to help them to actually know, so experience God, to find freedom, to discover God's purpose for their lives and to make a difference. There's, Jesus isn't limited by our weaknesses, by our mistakes, by our hang-ups, by our habits. He loves us just as we are. I also want to argue that He loves us too much to, to leave us the way we are. And so I think a, a real friend, a, a friend who loves you properly is going to be a friend to your destiny. So a friend who loves you for real, he accepts you as you are. He is patient with your journey, with your process. But there are going to be times where, where a true friend is going to have honest conversations with you because they actually want you to experience wholeness and, and health and to walk in God's best plan and best purpose for your life so that you can experience freedom. And sometimes that might mean that, you, that you're going to cut something out that's actually draining life from you. If there's a tumor that is, that is sucking the life out of you, the, the, the greatest 
service that a surgeon can do to you is help cut it out. It's going to be painful, but it's the pain of a surgeon. And the goal is healing and wholeness and recovery. But the third idea I want to get across to you is that Jesus, as your friend, this friend, he is interested in you. He's actually interested in your story. The fact that he went home with Zacchaeus, and we don't know what all they spoke about. I mean, I'd love to have been a fly on that wall. But, but whatever it is that they spoke about, I believe that Jesus was actually truly interested. Maybe you feel very overlooked. Maybe you feel thoroughly unnoticed. Is it possible that Jesus is far more interested in you than what you would ever dare hope or imagine? Now, for those of you that are panicking, let me acknowledge a quick disclaimer. I'm not, I, I'm not making... Christianity and our relationship with God all about you. When I say that, that Jesus is interested in you, I'm not saying that you become the master and he becomes a servant. I'm just saying that your creator, your savior, your healer, your provider, he is interested in you. He does care about you. I don't know how long Zacchaeus had this uh, audience with the living God, if it was two hours, if it was four hours, I don't know what all they spoke about, but we can assume that they probably ate a meal together and that Jesus probably listened a lot. I think it's very, very likely that as someone who was interested in Zacchaeus, as someone who's interested in you, I think that Jesus listens more than you can imagine. Again, I think we're the variable where very often we don't slow down enough to listen to him, but I believe that he's interested, and I believe that he would have listened. Maybe, maybe no one ever listened to Zacchaeus excepting those that he was in charge of and those that he could lord things over. Was this the first time that someone actually seemed genuinely interested in him without any skin in the game, without wanting to get anything back from him? I, I don't know, but it's, I do think it reveals part of the nature of Jesus, and Jesus, the Bible tells us, was a perfect reflection of God the Father. I I can only imagine that he must have seen compassion in Jesus' eyes. I can only imagine that he would have seen genuine interest, that, that, that he felt like, like this person was paying attention to him when so often he preferred if someone that didn't need something from him actually came close enough that very quickly they might just reject him because of all of his shortcomings and his failures. A, a fourth thought is that this friend will influence you. So, yes, he's interested. He calls you by name. He sees you. But this friend will also influence you. If you're going to respond to an invitation, and, and again, this isn't just for people that are exploring Christianity. I'm saying that if you're a believer, I think that, that the friendship that we experience with God is limited by the extent to which I allow him to actually influence me. In verse 8, it says that Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Like, I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what he said. I don't know if Jesus would have given him any kind of instruction along those lines. All I know is that whatever happened with that interaction, with that experience, is that it changed Zacchaeus's life. In fact, uh, some have suggested, I love this one book by 
a pastor and an author called Judah Smith, a book called Jesus Is, where he talks about the story and how he mentions that, that the Bible is probably very deliberate about not revealing the content of that conversation because we might be tempted to make a formula out of that conversation when it wasn't, I think, so much about the conversation. It was about the encounter. It was about the experience, actually experiencing that interaction with Jesus and seeing the hope and the invitation and what he was calling him to. Something Something changed this lifelong taker into a lavish giver. Something changed this lifelong taker, this guy who was, who was always cutting corners and stealing from people and, 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 and dabbling in corruption. Something changed him from, from being abusive and corrupt and mean and callous to giving half of everything to the poor and paying back everybody that he had ever cheated four times. I mean, I, I can only imagine that he was going to be broke after this. But maybe he had found something worth a great deal more. In fact, there's another brief parable in the, in the book of Matthew that Jesus gives where he talks about, about finding this treasure that is worth everything in your life, this, this, this treasure or pearl of great price, how someone who comes across it will go and sell everything to go and to be able to to be able to engage with this great treasure. I'm telling you that enjoying a friendship with Jesus, not, not just studying about Jesus, I mean enjoying a friendship, a relationship with Jesus. I do believe the more that we open ourselves up to that, the more irresistible he becomes, and the more the things of this world actually, as the, as the one song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, the, the things of this world will actually tend to fade Away. It's amazing how much perspective we find when we find our peace and our purpose in Jesus. In verse 9, it says that Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. And I don't think that that's because of what he did. I think it's because of the way that he responded in his heart to that encounter with Jesus. And then, Here's that statement that I mentioned earlier. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That's Jesus' mission. He's still on mission, by the way. He's looking for people that, that know they haven't found what they're looking for yet. People who haven't found their, their, whose hearts haven't found their home in Him yet. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. And I just want to point out very quickly, being lost isn't, it doesn't mean that you have to be broken and like on the outside and losing everything it's when you just know on the inside that i can't do this all by myself where, where, where you know where there's enough humility in you to know that you don't know it all where there's enough in you to know that you were made for something more to know that you were created by someone for someone and where you're open to at least just experiencing that friendship I say open to experiencing it because I think so often we feel like, okay, if I'm convinced, then I will consider beginning that relationship. But we don't approach anything else like that. When, when I first have approached, I, I've done quite a few different studies in my life. At no point did I approach, in fact, when I first went to university, I didn't go and study business because I was absolutely guaranteed that I would have a successful business career. I went to study business to discover whether or not I would go into business and experience a successful business career. Newsflash, I haven't. But even when I went to Bible college, I didn't know that I'd actually be in full-time ministry doing what I'm doing as, as a full-time deal. I really wanted to be a, a, more, a better trained volunteer. Every time I've taken on any responsibility, in fact, even when I got married, you, you don't get married knowing 
with 100% certainty that you're gonna have the marriage of your dreams for the next 40 or 50 years, you, you spend money and energy getting to know each other and preparing for a wedding in order to get married, in, order, in the hope that this is gonna be what you think it could be. And so similarly, I'm saying that we begin a friendship with Jesus. We start reading the Bible. We start engaging in conversations with people. We, you might join an alpha group or a, or a life group on Zoom or, or in person in order to discover whether or not. In other words, you do that to come and see. Could he be the hope of the world, the Messiah of the world? Lastly, number five, this friend prays for you. I believe that, that Jesus prays for us. The Bible tells us that he actually intercedes for us. I believe that he prays that you will see him just as he sees you. I believe he prays that you will respond to his call because he calls you by name. I believe that he prays that you will trust him as you realize that he is actually interested in you and that you will obey him as you allow him to influence you towards healing and wholeness and, and freedom and purpose. One of my all-time encouraging passages of Scripture in the New Testament is found in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32. This is where Jesus is speaking to, to Peter, who was first known as Simon. And so in this case, he refers to him as Simon. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon. Please don't miss this part. I, I came across this the other day. I'd never, ever heard this before. I've referred to this passage so many times. I've never, ever heard this taught. I literally heard someone mention it earlier this week for the first time, so, so, so stick with me. But I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. I'll come back to that word in a moment. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. So that passage has always encouraged me, just the idea that Jesus already knows when I'm going to fall, and he's prayed for me, and he's praying for me that my faith will not fail. But then I heard someone comment the other day, and, I, and, I, and at first I thought, wait, that sounds a little bit too good to be true. Is that a bit of creative license? So I went and, and looked up the Greek word that is used in this passage of Scripture for fail. That word is eklepo or eclipso. I'm probably butchering that. If you know Greek, please forgive me. But it is translated as fail or to leave out, to pass by, to quit, to cease, to stop. But it's also used as the word that we get the word eclipse from. The eclipse of the light of the sun and the moon. I think what Jesus was saying to Peter is, don't, I've, I've prayed for you that nothing will eclipse your faith. That, that nothing will block out the light of God. Peter, I've, I've already prayed for you that, 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 that these things that are going to try and get in the way of you seeing God for who He is, of you seeing His kindness, of you seeing His friendship, I've already prayed that, that, that your faith will not be eclipsed by these distractions. And so my encouragement to you is to keep pushing back against anything that blocks God out of your life. Even if you're not sure, even if you're not convinced, Keep getting rid of anything that you know is trying to eclipse God. Anything that is trying to block out the light that I know and that you probably have a sense God is trying to bring into your life. Man, I want to encourage you, even in my own life, even at this stage of my journey with God. And I've been, I've been trying to serve God fairly wholeheartedly for probably a little over 25, 26 years. I still find it easier 
Maybe this will encourage someone. I still find it easier to believe for and accept God's grace for other people. There are times where because I've been on the road for a long time that, that I get so frustrated and so discouraged with, with, with just my own thoughts and, and challenges and, and, and all the many areas where I feel like I could be a better leader, a better father, a better husband, a better man, a better friend, a better son. A better, you know, there's, I feel like there's never a shortage of areas where I'd like to be better. But I have found that the more I just keep approaching God intellectually, the more I just read or listen, the more that I just keep myself busy and distracted, even with good things. I'm in the ministry, everybody. So I might be busy with good things. I have found, though, that if I'm just medicating and distracting an underlying need to be present with God, then no amount of busyness, even in doing good, no amount of busyness actually helps reassure that sense of peace and friendship and grace that I know I have access to. And so I'm just saying to you still at this stage of my life, one of my biggest challenges is to slow down regularly, constantly, even if it's just for a few minutes at the beginning of my time with God or, and a few minutes after or, or one or the other, or, but just constantly finding opportunities to just slow down, to remember I'm not a machine, to remember I can't impress God, <laughs> I can't prove myself to Him. Can I just slow down and be present with God? Can I slow down enough to look at God looking at me with love? He is your friend. And in a moment, I'm going to encourage you just to stay where you are for the, for the next four minutes as you listen to a song that I think just, just describes the love of God so powerfully. I know when, you, when you're looking at a screen, it's so hard not to want to check messages and do other things. I'm asking you, even if you have to put your phones on flight mode for the next four minutes, don't just, don't just take this in academically, intellectually, theoretically. Like, would you actually just, even if you're not sure, would you just say, God, if you're real, and if this, and if this what Jason is saying about your love and, and you seeing me and knowing me and caring about my name and my purpose and being interested in me, God, would you help me to, God, would you help me to see how much you love me? Enjoy the song, and then we'll wrap up in a moment. spoke a word you were singing over me you've been so so good to me before I took a breath you breathed your life in me you've been so so kind to me Bending beneath 
the weight of his wind and mercy when all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me oh how he loves us so that those words have meant as much to you as, as what they do to me. I love this declaration of God's outrageous, reckless love. I really do believe that it is way beyond what we can even begin to, to fully, fully understand. If we think that we fully understand the grace of God and the love of God, I can guarantee that we've cut it up somehow, we've dissected it. We can only experience it. It is not a scientific uh, fact that we can try and prove we can only experience his love so right now i pray in jesus name that everybody watching this wherever you are in your journey with god that you would allow him to see you that you would allow him to call you by name and to remind you of your identity that you would allow him to show his interest in your life that you would allow him to influence you and that you'd be encouraged that you have Jesus, the Son of God, praying for you right now, that you would not allow anything to eclipse the light and the work of God in your life right now. And if you're making a decision today say, to say yes to Jesus, to begin a relationship with him, then I would encourage you just to pray something as simple as, God, thank you for your love. I mean, I think you love me, Help me to experience it. God, thank you for your forgiveness. 
I think you've forgiven me. Help me to embrace and accept your forgiveness. And would you help me to follow you? Help me to follow you one step at a time. Would you give me wisdom and discernment to actually sense your voice in Jesus' name? And God, as, as people are praying that right now, I pray that you would surprise them with a sense of your peace and your love and your freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. We'll see you next week.